to accomplish in this class on spiritual disciplines. Four weeks. Here's what I want to make you. Or better yet, here's what I hope God makes you. But here's the intention of my teaching. It's John 17, 3. Okay? Here it is. And this is eternal life, that they may, what? Know you. Okay, so, so if you have a, you know... If you have a, a, a highlighting thing, highlight it in your electronic device. If not, just put one line under no, that main verb no. That, you may, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. All right, that word no, okay? That word no, according to Jesus, means both camps. In the Bible, there's no false dichotomy between camp number one and camp number two. There's no false dichotomy between the life of the mind and the life of the heart. So around here, we say things like clear to the mind, real to the heart. We're not going to separate truth from experience, and we're not going to separate experience from truth. In fact, we're going to say experience the truth. So the goal for our time here is to become more and more an intelligent mystic. And you would think that some medieval monk coined that term, but I almost fell off my chair when I realized who came up with that term. John Murray, a Scottish Presbyterian. So we're going to be intelligent mystics. That word know is that the knowledge of God passes into your soul. Anytime the Bible uses the word know, it actually goes all the way back to Adam knowing Eve and her conceiving. It's as intimate as you can be. Okay? So knowledge is not information only, right? It's not experience only, it's both. It's understanding and feeling. It's truth and experience. So our goal, you know what my goal is when I preach? Is that you experience Jesus with the Bible, Experience Jesus, mysticism, faith, it's a better word, with the Bible, intelligent, truth, okay? So whatever we're doing with spiritual disciplines is so that you become an intelligent With the Bible, intelligent, so that you grow in being with God, being more clear to your mind, so whatever we're doing with spiritual disciplines is so that you become an intelligent Words in the Bible. say light, so that you grow in being in, with God, being more Earth. clear to your okay. mind, and so more whatever we're doing with spiritual disciplines is so that you become an intelligent Words in the Bible. say light, so that you grow in being in, with God, being more. So whatever we're doing with spiritual disciplines is so that you become an intelligent Bible. say light, so that you grow. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And 
Calvin writes about that. Even our confession writes about this. There's ordinary, normal, created ways, right? And then there's the brokenness in creation and the brokenness in us that can affect the normal ways. But it doesn't mean God doesn't work. There are the extraordinary ways that God works. And he does so in those kind of cases. Yes. It's good. Okay, so the word to know means clarity in your mind, realness in your heart. Clarity in your mind, realness in your heart. We're going to use that over and over and over again. You're going to be so tired of it, but you're going to always remember. In fact, this Sunday, this Sunday, the first judge What's said about the people is they forgot God. It's not, this is the first generation, right? So it doesn't mean that they weren't catechized because they were. It doesn't mean they didn't have the whole first five books of the Bible memorized because they did. It didn't mean that they didn't have a lot of information about God, which they had more than you have in your brain right now. It means he wasn't clear to their mind or real to their heart. So how does that happen? If you look at church history, it's, it's always one generation has it, the next generation doesn't. It's scary, right, for our kids, depending on where you are. Maybe you're the kid. Or maybe you're not. Maybe you're the parent. So we'll look at that. I mean, that'll be interesting. Maybe that's the angle I'll go at. I don't know. Maybe that's what it'll be. All right, so Jesus, notice that this is, this is a prayer. This is Jesus' prayer. Do you see that? 17.3? He's praying this. He's praying that you become an intelligent mystic. Jesus himself right now is praying that you have clarity in your mind and realness to your heart of who God is. That you know him. Him and his salvation. It's pretty cool. All right, so that's the goal of spiritual disciplines. So how do we become an intelligent mystic? How do you become one? Let's just think about it. Let's whiteboard it. How do you become an intelligent mystic? How can a whole generation... So if the first generation that Judges is writing to, their parents, we're the first generation, the parents would be Joshua and Caleb. So these are the children of Joshua and Caleb. They conquered 90% of the promised land, only 10% left, right? Remember that. How did that generation not have God clear to the mind, real to the heart? Shoot, go. Very good.
Yeah. That's good. I like it. I like it. How do we become an intelligent mystic? How does Jesus' prayer become real? True. For you, for your kids, for Redeemer, for us right now in this class. A gift of God's grace. That's the answer. So how does, yeah, poof. So much to that. What both of y'all have said is true. Let's just let's let's move into it. If you unless you have something like you know the answer and we can just leave for the night, that'd be great. Yeah? Okay. All right. Here's what we're gonna do. Whatever it means, and whatever the answer is, number one, it starts with the Bible. If you're ever going to become an intelligent mystic, if you're ever not going to be the generation that forgets God, it starts with the Bible. Whatever the dynamics that we can't explain, whatever the mysteries that are beyond us in my pay grade, whatever the answer is, though, it starts with God's word. How do we know that? Because that's where God starts. Everything started with his word let there, everything hangs on God's word. You were worded, you hold together by his word. The world works because of his word, it's called providence. The world was created because of his word, creation. The word is saved because of his word, Jesus. Right? So whatever our answer is, it starts with the Bible. That's why Luther said, I'll give you two stories. One's Luther. Luther said he always knew that wherever the Bible was, God was. So there was always hope. I mean, think about that. Why do you think he struggled and strained to translate the Bible into the German language? And why do you think God would have had the printing press be invented at the time of Luther? Coincidence? Hell no. All right, then I got uh, Dr. Hannah. Dr. Hannah used to always say, the reason why I'm still here is because this seminary still believes in the Bible. Because wherever the Bible is, they still open it up. Wherever the Bible goes, God goes. Yes, brother. Yeah. 
I don't know. I think there's even a little bit more to it. Yes. Yes. Right. So what happened to them? Right. That's what I ask. I mean, that's it. I want you to be able to wrestle as honestly as possible with the word and with God, no matter what. So my questions would be that. My question would be, well, they had the word. That's what I say to God. That's right. So we're starting with the Bible, right? It starts with God's word. Um, why start with the Bible? Because God does. So that's where we've got to start. Everything hangs on words spoken. So this is where it's really important for you to um, maybe rearrange your understanding of the word just a tad. And possibly all of us rearrange the way we approach the Bible. The Bible does not just convey information. It gets things done. So, when we're talking about God's word, the nature of God's word, we're saying, Scripture says, that God's word does what it says. So, God is saying, let there be light through his word. God is showing up through his word. So whatever we're going to do in talking about spiritual disciplines and we're going to talk about church, the word is everything. If your spiritual disciplines aren't centered in, grounded in, coming out of the word, they're useless. That's why what's wrong with, you can go through, everybody has a list of spiritual disciplines. Throw out the ones that aren't word-centered. Throw them out. You don't need them. Because what ends up happening is the ones that are word-centered uh, stay with us, but then what ends up, some new novel spiritual discipline comes in that's not word-centered. Everybody gets enamored with it, and then they forget the word-centered ones, so they never pass the word-centered ones on to the next generation. See how this works? And then the next thing you know, you have what's called mysticism. Meaning disciplines, disciplines that are moving you towards the word or are coming out of the word. And so there are a lot of disciplines we're going to talk about. I mean, there's going to be a discipline of like people go as far as saying like being silent. So you can be silent and sit there and listen to yourself all day, which to me is hell on earth. Why would I ever want to listen to myself? Yes. So there's thinking and reflecting, there's listening, there's meditation, right? Uh, they can have two different sources. Going on walks, great. 
You know, being in nature, great. Right? Depends. <laughs> right? A lot of transcendentalists walked in nature. So we're going to have to, we'll tease that out just a little bit. Let's just nail down this. I want you to be so, like, confident that whatever disciplines you're going to do, they're going to be word-centered, and they're going to be driving you to the word, or they're going to be the result of what the word does in your life. That's it. Got it? That's it. Okay, so you got Genesis 1-3. We got Psalm 19. Psalm 19, you look at it, it talks about what the word does. It revives hearts. It gives wisdom. You know, this is all the things that the word does. You've got Hebrews 4 where it says the word is sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts through everything. So that means it cuts through your unbelief. It cuts through your hard heart. It cuts through everything. That's incredible, right? That's a good thing. You've got, um, oh, I'm going to save that one. Let's do, uh, all right, in Galatians. Remember in Galatians where Paul says, well, we just looked at this past Sunday. Paul says that before your eyes, Jesus was crucified, right? How did that happen? You go on to read, and it says that, the Spirit is supplied to you, given to you, through the Word. Everybody wants the Holy Spirit these days. We can pretend, okay? Everybody wants the Holy Spirit these days. Go to the Word. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Go to the Word. You want more God to supply you with more, as the text says, strengths and powers and miracles and wonders? Remember Paul's question? Did he supply these things to you by works of the law or by hearing with faith? My favorite, my all-time favorite is Romans 10, 13. Remember this great, this is the one I used for like going all over the world, going to unreached people places, challenging people to do the same for the first half of my Christian life. And even now, when I talk to pastors and, I, and preachers, future preachers, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you remember the, the logic? It just goes right down. Well, then how are they going to, how are they going to call on him whom they've not believed? You know, right? Remember that logic? And then it ends with how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Do you Remember? The ones that bring good news is where God shows up. If you bring good news, you can know that God shows up, Jesus shows up. How do I know that? Because I love the grammar, because I am a grammar geek. You ready? Here we go. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed. All right, so it's, you know, it's a logical, Paul's very logical. Okay, everyone who calls on God, on Jesus, will be saved, right? Everyone! And then the question is, well, how can they call on him? If they haven't heard about him, they haven't believed in him, right? No faith, how can they do that? He's following it, right? 
And then he goes and says, and how are they to believe in him? Because remember, faith is everything, right? Hearing with faith. Faith is everything. We could say an intelligent mystic is really just faith. If you really want to press me. How can they call on him who they, everyone who calls on him will be saved. Well, how can they call on him if they don't believe in him? Well, then how are they going to believe in him, Paul says. Here we go. This is where the fun starts right here. And how are they to hear? Well, no, let's go back up. And how are they to believe in him? How can they have this faith, this hearing with faith? In him, now you've got to make a decision. You're going to be, it's called a genitive. A relative pronoun turned into a genitive. What a genitive is, is of something. It's, it's either, it's modifying the main noun in some way. So you've got to make a decision in the genitive. It says, uh, in the original, it says, how are they going to believe in him whom? It's a whom. Now, of whom is what your translation says, right? So if you have a footnote in the ESV, which the ESV does, thank the Lord, says it could be translated whom, just whom, correct? Because the translators are making an interpretive decision. Is it a subjective genitive? Or an objective genitive. And I know you just love this stuff because I do, right? One of them means information about God. So it goes like this, which is what the ESV went with. How are they to believe in him of whom they don't have, they haven't heard the information about him? They haven't heard about him. How are they going to believe in him until they hear about him? And when they hear about him, now they can believe in him. That's the argument. But if you take it as a subjective genitive, which is what I do, and many and most in our tradition do, it would read like this. And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? Do you see what I'm saying? How are they going to believe in him, have faith in him, of whom they need information about him, whom they never heard about. So go tell them. Or how are they going to believe in him whom they've never heard? He's never spoken to them. And then the next question is, well, how are they going to do that? How are they going to hear Jesus without someone preaching? That changes the ball game. In the word, Jesus speaks. In the word, Jesus shows up. We need to change our view of the word. Get out, get rid of, oh, it's just, it's sword drill. That's why I don't want us to do sword drills with our kids. You're like, crazy, what? I don't want them to get in the habit of having all this information about the Bible. Watch it. <laughs> You're a pastor. Yeah. I don't want that to form their view of the word. I want their view of the word to be formed like, Jesus shows up here for me. He speaks to me. This is my refuge. This is where I go when I'm in the valley of deep darkness. This is where I go to get loved. This is where I go to get spoken back to life again. This is where I go when I can't and don't know what to do with my sin. 
This is where I go when I don't want to take another step. This is where I go when people say unkind and untrue things about me. This is where I go when I, I need to know that he's present and with me. Do you see the difference? Not, go eat popcorn, Galatians, Philippians, eat, eat Ephesians. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's great. It's all how you approach the Bible, though, right? It's all why are we doing the spiritual discipline? Why are we catechizing our kids? My whole view of catechism changed when my fourth child said the same thing my other first three children said. Dad, are we still in school? I said, that's it. We're not doing catechism anymore. It's over. <laughs> you didn't expect all that, did you? So we need to do reapproach a discipline, right? The discipline's not wrong, but our approach is, right? And maybe you have to let go of that approach until, until you're able to approach it a right way. I had to give up studying the Bible so I could actually read the Bible. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Okay. Before we're out of time, and someone will not leave me alone, I just want to make sure it's not an emergency. Because when you have five kids, you can have emergencies. Nope. Okay. Good. All right. So here's what I want you to get to. So what we just said is Jesus shows up. I want you to have full confidence that the word is where all the action is. The go- when I say word, I'm saying gospel. I hope you know that. I'm not just saying reading the word any kind of way. If you read the Word to look for good advice, you are not reading the Word. The Bible is meant to be read. Jesus doesn't show up that way. When you read the Bible with Jesus in the center of it, you're cutting with the grain of the text. If you read the Bible without Jesus being the ultimate meaning and center of it, you're cutting against the grain of the text. You're tearing the Word. Does that make sense? So if you approach Samson and you really do look for dating principles, you're not reading it right. Okay? That's obvious. But it's less obvious in other areas, is it not? I mean, you go to a Christian bookstore, and I mean, I could have made millions. I wish I, I could have been Maxwell whatever and done that book on Nehemiah's leadership principles and made millions. I wish I would have done that. All right, so God unites the spirit to the word. I want you to look at the traditions that have come out of the church that have taken the spirit away from the word. And I don't mean to be like downgrading other traditions. I'm saying when many of them are reclaiming that back. If, if you keep the word and the spirit together, which is what the Bible does, the word and the spirit are not separate because the Holy Spirit authored the word, right? God unites them. Many, though, many of our approaches, many of our traditions, many of our spiritual disciplines separate them. 
So then you do something like this. Let's say you attach the spirit immediately to the human heart, not to the word. What do you get? You get those direct experiences, unmediated encounters with God, where experience without truth is everything. And so if, if, if the Spirit whispers or speaks something immediately to your heart, that's authoritative. It could be. It could go as far as like you actually become a conduit for more books of the Bible to be written. Or you do some really spiritually harming things to other people. You say things like, you know, I know what God's will is for your life. And you should do this. And this is the person you should marry. This, you should break up with this person. You could do all kinds of crazy things, which do happen. Dr. Hannah tells this story all the time. I'm not, Trinity, is, no, 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 is it? What's the, uh, the seminary in Illinois? Is it Trinity? Trinity. Okay. I'm not going to tell you who the president of the seminary was, but he was recruiting Dr. Hannah. And Dr. Hannah's in this, finally, at one conference, the dude corners him because he wanted him so bad. Everybody wants him and wanted him. And he goes, John, I was given a vision that you, and he's full on serious, that it's God's will for you to come to Trinity. And this is what Dr. Hannah said to him. It's absolutely beautiful. He goes, I'm not going to say his name, so-and-so. Do you think that if, if it was such a big deal that it would involve my life and my kids that God wouldn't have gave me that vision? Why would he give it to you and not me? Right? So if you separate the spirit from the word, you could do a lot of weird stuff. All right? You could attach the spirit to biblical principles, which is what evangelicals do, which we do. That's why we do things like we give the eternal truths of the Bible. We give the how to deal with money from the Bible because we think the spirit is attached to biblical principles. This is conservative Christianity right now. We think we attach the spirit to a special anointed individual. Does God anoint individuals? You bet. I count on it every Sunday and moments like this all the time. But that's one thing to then attach the spirit to a special anointed individual in such a way that there's something authoritative and something extraordinary that's not normal Christianity to where people follow that person unhealthily <laughs> to where that person says some really weird things, right? Then you can do, you can take the spirit and, a, and attach it to a church, a tradition, and everybody does that. But maybe you just attach it to the church and there's a whole huge the largest in the world that's done that the church the spirit and the word go together okay that's the deal all right how should we approach the bible i'm going to go really really quickly because we're out of time 
How should you approach the Bible? I take Luther's example. He says, shut up and listen. So if you want to be an intelligent mystic, you go, you start with the Bible. When you start with the Bible, you start with shutting up and listening. So then the question becomes, well, how do you become a good listener? And uh, uh, that's such a bummer. Maybe what we'll do is we'll pick that up next week. How do you become a good listener? I'll give you some practical things to become a good listener. I'm going to tease you a little bit. One way is, which this, the listening thing for me is so huge. When you're a doer and you're a get-or-done person, when you think you activate God person, listening changes everything. Listening means you're listening to God. You're learning to listen to God in and with and through the text. So now you're listening to um, the world of the text. So you're, you're doing things like, what is the world of this text? What's the feel of this text? What's the force of this text? And then all of a sudden when, when Samson is talking to Delilah, you go, wait, 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 wait. And you enter into the text and you look at Delilah when he's speaking. You're listening to the text. You're hearing Samson, but you're watching Delilah. And then when you see Delilah thinking in her heart, because the text is going to tell us she thought in her heart, you're going to, whoa, 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 you're going to stop, and you're going to listen to what she's actually thinking in her heart. And you're going to go, oh, my word, I'm just like that. I think those same things. Listening to the text is bigger and better than you ever thought. And we're going to talk about how to practically do things like that. Listening to the text ultimately means this. You're not in control. God is. You're not going to master his word. He's going to master you. You're not the one working and activating. He is. It's a whole different approach. Next week, come back and we'll... Tackle that, and we'll move on to some more things. Amen. Go in peace.